Well, welcome all of you who are joining us online. We're so grateful that you're a part of this service today. Yay, God, for you for coming and being a part of worship with us and and, uh, the opening of God's word together. And for every one of you from all of our campuses that are joining us today, I'm so grateful for you. We are in a series that's a pretty challenging series entitled Refocus, looking at moral issues through God's eyes. We're looking at five key moral issues that we're facing in our country today. And it's not just any five, it's not just a random five. It's five issues that are the most important issues that are dividing our country and we're struggling through, we're trying to get a handle on these. And we're not suggesting there's only five moral issues. A moral is is, uh, what God says is right and wrong, about how we treat God and about how we treat each other. And there's a lot of morals in our life, but five key ones that we're struggling with the most in this day and time. And we wanna wanna address them head on. Two weeks ago, Pastor Xavier talked about the sexuality as from what God's word teaches. And it's very different from the culture, but he taught an incredible message on sexuality. Last week, Pastor Juan Carlos taught on poverty, the moral issue of poverty and, and what we are responsible to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And how we are to help others who are going through very difficult times. Next Sunday, Pastor Ender is going to be teaching on immigration, and he's an immigrant himself who has now become an American citizen, and he's going to come, and he's going to talk about what the Bible teaches about immigration as a moral issue and how we are to treat others who come into our, our country. And then in the last week of the series, Pastor Xavier and I are going to do what maybe we've never done before. I've only, I've only taught with one other person and that was my grandson a few weeks ago. And now we're gonna teach together two pastors as we talk about the issue of racism and we want to deal with that. But today, the subject I wanna talk to you about is the subject of abortion. Has there ever been such an emotional subject that our whole country has faced that has created such anger and such shouting matches and such even hatred over the last 50 years? I can't think of any other topic other than the topic of slavery that had such a a powerful impact on our country. With slavery, it took a civil war that cost more lives in the civil war than all the other wars combined. And thank God for the outcome of the civil war. And here we are talking about struggling through the issue of abortion. And in my mind, I see both of these issues connected. What does it mean to be a human being? is really what this whole thing is about. And I want to talk to you about that today. As I began researching, wanting to address this subject, maybe in a a fresh way, a new way that I've never addressed before, as I began to do research, I came across a very balanced site that that talks about demographics related to this topic. And what it showed me is that 25% of, of women in America expect to have at least one abortion during their lifetime, 25%. Now, that means that three out of four women do not, but one out of every four women in America will have an abortion during their lifetime. 
And as I kept digging into the demographics, uh, I, I saw that, that not all abortions happen in this decade, but the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming majority of abortions that happen, happen during a woman's 20s, the, the decade of their 20s. And if you think about it, it makes total sense because during the decade of the 20s is such a tough time. It is a time in which all of us, as we entered that, that period, are trying to get our formal education accomplished. It's, a, it's the time in which we're trying to figure out who we are. It's, a, it's the decade in which we're, we're trying to get our career together. What career will I, will I take and how will I do it and how will I get going? And, then, and it's the decade that many people, most people find the love of their life. And all of that is happening. It's confusing. It's difficult. And all of it is taking place, the pressures of all of that. And then suddenly there is an unwanted pregnancy. And it's devastating. To a young woman in her 20s, it is devastating. It is deeply hurtful. It is so disappointing. I, I didn't see this coming. And then what is going to happen to my education? How is it going to affect my education? How is it going to affect my, my career? And how's it going to affect the rest of my life? And, and all of that and the embarrassment and the struggle with family members... It is such a hurtful, a difficult moment in life. If there's any compassion at all, we need to have compassion for women that are going through this time and especially in this period of time in their life and now facing what they're dealing with. And I think to myself, if one out of every four women in America end up having an abortion, it means that there are a lot of people who are hearing my voice right now who've experienced this. And the last thing you're wanting to do is to come to a, a service and a sermon and hear and be taken back to all of those emotions. And it is not my heart to hurt you. I do want to address this issue. It is, a, it is a national issue. It is a moral issue. And I want us to address it today. We made a decision as a teaching team, no politics. And we have been true to that, and I'll be true to that in this message. No politics, just Bible. So as we approach the Bible about this topic, how do we do it? Well, there is one key idea. There's one key element that helps us to really deal with this issue. The crux of abortion is the question, what does it mean to be a human being? What does that mean? It is the sum total of the issue of abortion. And so I want us to take uh, that idea and go with it. What does the Bible teach about being human? The Bible says that God created mankind in his own image. The last of God's creation were people, and it was the highest of his creation. The Bible says it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. God made humanity unique among all of the other created beings in that he not only gave us a physical body, but he gave us a spirit. 
This is the part that is like God. He gave us a spirit. You see, he is not talking about when he says to be like us. He's not talking about how God looks. God doesn't have a physical body like we have. We don't look like God physically. Jesus said in John chapter four that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He is a spirit and he gave us a spirit. And what that means is we will live forever. We will never die. Our body will die. But who we are on the inside, our spirit that has been given to us uniquely by God will live forever. To be made in the image of God means that he gives us the ability to know what is right from what is wrong. The ability to communicate with him. We have the ability to reason and plan, to reflect and to imagine. We have the ability to create and choose. God gave us free will. And he gave us the ability to know him and to have a relationship with him. He created us different from any other creature. He created us to have a relationship with him and to be able to know the difference between right and wrong. We call it a conscience, but deeper even that, his word, he tells us how it is we are to live our life and have that relationship with him. We have been made in the image of God. Now, why is this so important? I came across this statement in, of all places, Wikipedia. And I say of all places because you can't always trust what you read in Wikipedia, but it's the easiest place to do research. And I came across this place where it's talking about what the image of God means in Wikipedia. And I thought the statement was amazing. The unique understanding of mankind being made in the image of God caused, circle the word caused, because it is so critical. The whole idea that you and I were made into the image of God caused the development of human rights and the dignity of each human life, regardless of class or race or gender or disability. The very idea that you and I are made in the image of God brings dignity to our lives. It means that God put part of himself in us that God made us a spirit to know him and to have relationship with him. No matter what our economic situation is, no, no matter what the color of our skin is, no matter what race we're a part of, no matter what location that we live in, that each one of us are equal in God's eyes because we are made in the image of God. It brings dignity to our lives. I mentioned in the second message of this series, Tom Holland, who is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, historian in the United Kingdom. And he is a guy that acknowledges, hey, I am an agnostic, but I have totally changed my whole view of Christianity. And he, so much, it was so profound. He wrote a book called Dominion that was all about Christianity and the impact that Christianity has made in the world as he studied Western civilization, first of all, and then all of world history, and he got deep into the weeds of it, he said, my whole attitude changed toward Christianity. 
I came to understand how important it was, how impactful this religion has been in the world. And here's his statement in the book, Dominion. He says, the values we hold dear today the welcoming of the immigrant, the care of, for the impoverished, the condemnation of racism, the support for human rights. All of these things came because of the Bible and the Christian worldview. None of these things were a part of the Roman Empire or any other religion except for Judaism. He said, I studied every religion and not one of them at this moment in time had anything to do with human rights or ever dealt with it, but there it is all over God's word. And he said, Christianity took it far, far beyond Judaism and impacted not just Western civilization, but all of the world. The Bible's an amazing book, a powerful book that defends the rights and the liberties of all people. So what about the unborn? What about the unborn? So here's the the deeper question. Since we are made in the image of God, at what point in our life do we possess God's image before or after birth. I, I have read things that individuals who've uh, tried to explain abortion in a positive way, in a, it, it, trying to do it biblically, the only thing I've seen that has any, makes any sense at all, but it's, it's not actually accurate, is the idea of Adam and Eve. Because when God had formed them out of the dust of the earth and he pour, put all of it together, he then breathed into them life. And so therefore, the spirit of God doesn't enter a person until they take their first breath. That's the idea. Only problem is Adam and Eve are totally unique cases. They were inanimate objects made of no life whatsoever until God formed them and then breathed life into them. But that's not the case of any baby that is being formed. All of them are, are living beings. All of them are already have life and DNA and all of that inside of them. You can't compare an anomaly and make it as act as though it is some answer for everything because it doesn't answer it. It's called eisegetics in which what you try to do is take a verse out of its context to make it say something that you wanted it to say but the rest of the Bible does not support it. And that is that argument. So what is the answer of this? When when does the image of God, at what point in our life do we possess God's image before or after birth? And there are all kinds of verses in the scripture where God is talking about the the unborn, the the pre-born, and he is talking about his involvement in their life and even their response to him, as amazing as that is. But the passage of scripture that is the easiest to go through and the most profound is in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. So listen to what it teaches. You, he's talking about God, you made all the delicate and inner parts of my body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully 
complex. We didn't even understand until the last hundred years just how complex. Maybe the last 50 or the last 30 years, however long it's been because of technology, now we have the ability to see what we never understood before, to go inside a human cell. And of all things, there's machinery inside the cell. That's how science describes it, machines. And those machines create other machines and even duplicate themselves inside the cell to get it ready to split to a new cell. It is absolutely amazing what happens. We are so wonderfully and complexly created by God. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Now notice this, you watched me. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. Like the number, uh, they outnumber the grains of the sand. Stop for a moment and think about the grains of the sand. Think about sand on all the beaches all over the world. Gather them all up, try to count them. It's crazy, you can't. And though that is the case, your precious thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. I got to be honest with you. I've read this passage I don't know how many times. And for the life of me, I've read this passage, but I've never read the last phrase of chapter 18. I've read it. It just never logged. It never grabbed me. But when I was going through the passage, I said, God, slow me down. Let me actually read every single word. And I came to the end of verse 18. And when I woke up, you were still with me. What does it mean when I woke up? In the context of the passage, it can only mean one thing. When I was born. All the passage is about the development, my development in the womb. And then when I wake up, when they slap my rear end, and when I scream out and I open my eyes, when I woke up, you are still with me. He doesn't say when I woke up, when I was born, all of a sudden there you were. Uh Uh-uh. Still. Meaning, there's no difference before birth and after birth of God's relationship with us. We've just changed locations and we're growing up to better understand it. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you stop for a moment? I want you to think about your own life. Just you, just you for a moment. When you were in your mother's womb, God was 
putting it all together. He, he chose the color of your eyes. He, he chose the aspects of your life, of, of the talents that you have. He, he put all those talents inside your life and you haven't even found all those talents yet. You won't even come to the end of finding them. If you have an open heart, you'll be finding talents in your life all the way to the day you die. You are amazing. You are amazing. Look at the talents that God has put in you. Look at the strength he's put in you. Look look at all the aspects of, of the life God made in you. And then he watched you. Being formed in your mother's womb, he watched you. He saw you. And he loved what he saw. God thought of you every moment Every moment, God thought of you. He thought about who you're going to be. He thought about how he was going to use your life. He thought about the impact that you would make in your life. He he thought about how you would come to know him. He thought about you and the relationship that would happen in your life with him. And then you were born and you discovered the same God is still with you. The same thing is true about your child. You're a little girl, you're a little boy. Same thing was happening. He loved your children and your grandchildren. And the same thing is true about the 63 million babies who've been aborted in America. All of them, he had knit together. He saw, he loved, and he thought of. And that's what I'm saying. The Bible makes no distinction of his creation, his love, his care, his presence of a person before and after birth. He makes no distinction. It's just a change of location. And the truth is, all that I've described, you can actually see, I want you to do this. I I, I use QR codes now, not for everything, but every so often just to show, uh, I'm in the 21st century, and in that QR code that has a lot of stuff at the end of your student notes, you're going to see a section that is about materials that I am using. And I want you to go to it because you are about to see the most incredible thing you've ever seen in your life. Don't do it now, let me preach to you for a few more minutes, but go later, you will see in one particular site that is, uh, uh, parental uh, um, recommended before you let your children see it, go to it yourself. You make the decision about your kids, but you will then see a week by week by week development of a child from conception all the way to birth. It's amazing. But then go to YouTube. I've got a YouTube video in which it shows a actual recording, a a video of a child all the way through the development of that child. You'll actually see a real child in the video and you gotta watch it, it's just shocking. It's astounding. And take your children through that and let them see 
I'm a part of a coalition of pastors in the Houston area that are made up of pastors of every ethnicity, different denominations, every ethnicity, every background. And in this group, there is a sense of, of love for each other, a sense of camaraderie because we believe the Bible together and we all agree on the moral issues that we're dealing with in this series. Uh, every one of these pastors would agree on what is being taught in this church. We don't agree on politics. Uh, we don't have the same agreement on politics, but there is a deep love that we have for each other because we agree on God's word. And I have seen in different groups of pastors, different denominations, different ethnicities who've, who have tried to put together sort of what, what do we stand for with moral issues. And there, many of them are well done, some not so well. But there is one that I came across in November of 1st, 2016, and it was by sheer accident I came across it. Now it's been, what, it's, uh, eight years. But in 2016, uh, six years, and, uh, but... I was stunned by it. Now, I w and what I've done is I have put this in your QR code. I want you to read the whole thing. It is a letter, an open letter from 25 black pastors in which they go through basically all the morals that we are dealing with now. But I will warn you, this is a political piece. So we're not politics, we're just Bible. And so you're gonna have to push that away if you choose to do that. But I want you to read the explanation of the moral stance. But not just that, I want you to read the perspective of black pastors and what they deal with. And I thought it was insightful and very helpful for me. I'm taking a portion of that and I'm gonna quote it to you about this issue of abortion. It is taken from this open letter. So here it is. The vast majority of black churches hold biblical teaching which is eternal and authoritative for doctrine and practice. Abortion is the deliberate destruction of a human life in its most vulnerable state. Biblical principle and natural law, both of which prohibit the taking of innocent human life, compel our concern about the increasing moral complicity with abortion, complicity. They're saying, not only is this wrong, but there are those who are saying, well, yeah, I know it's wrong and I know it, it shouldn't happen, but I, I can't be a part of that. I can't worry about that. That's not my issue. It's called complicity. Well, I can't be a part of this issue or I won't hear what God has to say about the issue. It's called complicity. And here's what they say. They said, both of which prohibit the taking of human life and compel our concern about the increasing moral complicity with abortion. For the same reasons that we as black Christian leaders oppose racism, unjust wars, capital punishment, euthanasia, we oppose the violent denial of life to the unborn through abortion. It is our view that human life is a gift of God and we are called upon to protect, nurture, and sustain because. See the word because. This is why we take this position. Now we're gonna tell you why we do. Because we are created in God's image. 
It's God's image that differentiates us. It's God's image that gives dignity to all of life. And because of that teaching, we are against the taking of the life of the unborn. Therefore, our opposition to abortion is a logical outgrowth of our view that there must be justice for all. Particularly relevant is the innocence of the unborn child. It's a profound statement. There is no desire for me or anybody I know that is anti-abortion to control a woman's body. And I see it, I read this, I read the protest, uh, my body, my choice. And I would say, yes, you, you, this is your body. And I'm not trying to control it. I don't, I'm interested in controlling a woman's body or a man's body. But I will tell you what the issue for those who are anti-abortion is. The issue has nothing to do with controlling somebody's body. It has to do with justice for the unborn. There is another person now involved. There is another human being involved. And it's being the voice for the voiceless. It is saying human rights should go to the unborn child just like any other person because this is a human being. So... At the very beginning of this series, I said, we've got two worldviews that are in battle against each other in, in our culture, two worldviews. And the two worldviews I identified, and you can find it anywhere, It'll, anything you look at online, it will tell you exactly what I've said to you. The first is the naturalistic Darwinian and atheistic worldview, and it says that a fetus, a fetus is human, but is not a person until birth. I don't even understand it, but it, a fetus is a human, but not a person until birth. And where do we get this? What is the rationale for it? I did as much work as I could do on this, and it kept coming back. There were several documents it would reference, but it kept coming back to this one as a, a primary document. So I pulled it out. I'm giving to you exactly what it says. This is by Charles Taylor. I don't know him. The concept of a person, it's a philosophical paper. Uh, this guy was, is from Cambridge University, and here is, here is what he says. A person is a being. Might be a human, but it's not a being until a person is a being who has a sense of self, has a notion of the future and of the past, can hold values, can make choices. In short, can adopt life plans. At least a person must be the kind of being who is in principle capable of all of this. However damaged these capabilities may be in practice. Okay. And as I was reading this and really thinking about it, here's what I said. A one day old baby, you're telling me that a one year old baby 
has a notion of the future or a one-month-old baby. A six-month-old child can put together a life plan? Seriously? So how old does the born baby have to be before the born baby can be called a person if this is the definition? And then when you see the last part of it, it's like, what? However damaged these capabilities might be in practice. Well, what? And what, what that point is, if a person loses consciousness or something else, they still get to be counted as a being. Well, well thank you. And you know why this is so important? This is the definition that the state of New York used in its decision to make abortion legal all the way until the moment before birth. I mean the moment before birth. And here's what they said. That child is not a being until they're born. On what basis? It's not science. On what basis? On the basis of Charles Taylor's paper. And that baby can be aborted. You say, well, that's not going to happen. And, and you're right. It, it, it's so, it's so infant, it, it, small that a percentage of those who would do it, it's so small. But that it's anyone is a travesty. And New York said, state of New York said, any child still in the womb of the mother has no human rights. It's in the bill. I read an article in the Los Angeles Times that stated that science, and here is the statement, science has already settled the issue that life does not begin until birth. It doesn't list any scientific study at all. It doesn't really, no reference. It's just stated as matter of fact. But in matter of fact, exactly the opposite is true. I found in Wikipedia, here we are again, the being of human and slash fertilization, it makes this statement. All the genetic characteristics of a human being are laid down determinatively at conception. And then it goes on in the article to state that when it comes to this whole abortion issue, science just says, we're not getting involved. This is the naturalistic Darwinian worldview. And I'm going to tell you, it's the third time it's happened in human history that I know of. It's the third time. What do I mean? It's the third time, the third time that a group of people have said, this is a human, but not a being. The first time was slavery in the United States, in which black people in the United States were counted three-fifths of a human being. And I'll tell you why. Because they wanted more representation in Congress and so they had to have more human beings. And they said, we got to count these slaves, but we cannot count them as five-fifths because if we count them as five-fifths, then we're murdering people. So to feel okay about ourselves, we'll say they're three-fifths. Golly, you wait. All those people that met God, 
Let me tell you something they've been dealt with. It happened the second time in Nazi Germany in which it was determined that Jewish people weren't beings. They were human, but not beings. And the same argument was used in Nazi Germany to eliminate six million Jewish people. And as if we didn't learn, now we're doing that in the 20th century and 21st century to preborns. You're human, but you're not a being. It is the Darwinian world view. There's a biblical worldview, and it states that a human being made in the image of God begins at conception, and the rest of the world knows it. The Wikipedia definition of personhood in the section related to abortion acknowledges the personhood at conception is a Christian worldview. In an article in the National Library of Medicine, a paper that was published in 2013 that relates to a medical discussion of personhood acknowledges that a Christian worldview teaches that personhood begins at conception. And here's what I'm gonna say to you. There is two worldviews at fighting with each other, beating each other up. There are two worldviews. One is an atheistic Darwinian worldview and the other one is a biblical worldview. And I'm asking you the question, which worldview? Which worldview? will you adopt in your life? That's what the whole series is about. We gotta show grace in this issue. There's no way in, in 35 minutes that I can address all the issues related to abortion or any of this. There's no way. But here's what I wanna say. If you've got questions, I think you already know that I'm anti-abortion and if you've got questions about any of it, and you want to ask the questions, but there is not a safe place to ask it. If I ask somebody that's pro-life, they'll just have a conniption fit. And they'll be so mad and they'll be all emotional and, and I can't even ask the questions. You can ask me. If you want to ask somebody, unemotionally, not trying to convert me to your way of thinking, you want to ask questions. What do these people think? I hear all this stuff because I, I will tell you, I hear the description of people who are pro-life. I don't even recognize it. I don't even know who they're talking about. If you would like to ask questions, I'll give you straight answers and it'll be unemotional and I'll love you and it, nothing will ever change. I'd, if you, I, you, I'm a safe place to come is what I'm saying. But there are other questions. How do we protect women from exploitation? How do we help women who find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy? How do we protect both the mom and the child? How do we help a woman who is struggling with guilt and despair? It's not good enough to be against something. We have to be for something. We have to do something to help people that are going through these issues. We must help women who are choosing to keep their children. Steve Jobs is a name everybody recognizes, and Apple, he's the creator of Apple, not the Apple, but the Apple company. 
He's the creator of the Apple company. He's changed our life, has he not? He's changed mine. I've got an iPhone. I'm up to iPhone 7, and I know we're at 95 now, iPhone 95, and I'm still at 7, and I know that. And Kathy keeps telling me, you got to go get a new phone. And when your wife tells you you need to get a new phone and you still don't do it, you're not all that smart, I don't think. But I've st- I got an iPhone 7. He's helped change my life. He's, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant man but he almost never lived. His mother was 23 and she got pregnant and she didn't want to be. And she became convinced, I've got to abort this child. And she'd already made the appointment. She was getting ready to go. And she just couldn't do it. And she said, I can't, no, I'm going to take, she took her son all the way to full term and then let him be adopted, and that baby was Steve Jobs. Sugar Creek has always been involved in crisis pregnancy centers, and I'm asking our missions committee of our church to at least double that effort. We need to encourage a woman who has not yet decided to have an abortion to first see an ultrasound. And I'll tell you why. Because 78% of women who see an ultrasound of their child choose not to get an abortion. Why? Because the the mother thing inside that God just so put inside, the strongest force in the universe outside the love of God, who sees that baby... Third of all, I encourage Christ followers to be more involved in adopting children in the first, second, third century of the Roman Empire. Romans, the Roman in in the Roman Empire, they wouldn't abort children. They'd wait until the child, child was born. And if the child had defects, if the child, oftentimes if it was a girl, I've got enough girls. I I just want boys now. So I'm going to kill every girl that comes. And there was a cliff outside of Rome, there was a place in which this was known and there was this big slab of rock and they would take the child that they decided that's been born now, we're not keeping this child, they would lay it on that rock for a wild animal to eat. Or some other demise. But when Christians in the Roman Empire came to understand this was happening, Christians on a regular basis would go to that place and they would hide, they would look around and when they saw a baby, they would go up and grab hold of that baby and take that baby home and raise that child. And one of the reasons why the Christian religion, the Christian uh, teaching is spread throughout the Roman Empire so quickly is that these Christian families had so many kids. Obviously, they didn't have to pay for college, but they had all of these kids. And they raised these kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and it was amazing, the overall impact over the space of 100 years. And I want to encourage you, would you open your heart to the idea of adoption? Condemnation and violence never wins the day. Loving others, even when we might disagree with them, changes hearts. I think I did it. I think I talked about abortion with no politics, just Bible. So let's pray. 
God, we come to you today, and oh God, we need you. We, th- this is hard, living in, in this environment because we're torn. We're torn because of two worldviews. We're torn because of, of things that we're not sure about. God, I, I ask, would you help us? And the way you help us is to bring us back to your word and understand who you made us to be and who we are in you. May we not be known for what we're against. May we be known for what we're for. And may our church reach out and care for people and love people and help people over a terribly difficult time in life. Father, I pray you'd move in hearts that are listening online and other of our campuses that do not yet know Jesus. May be the, this be the day of salvation. May this be the moment in which they say yes to Jesus Christ and give their heart and life to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.